0: If you know you're meant to do something, whether it's playing music, being a manager, starting your own label, whatever it is, see that through because whatever that is inside you telling you to do that, it's telling you that for a reason. And I think it's really important not to be distracted by the pretty picture people paint for you.
1: What is up? Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This week we sit down with my friend, Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan is a booking agent, and I'm stoked on that because I've yet to have a booking agent on the podcast somehow. And I'm really stoked to have him on as the first booking agent. Him and I worked together in the past, and I really liked him as a dude, just as a person. And as we get into his story, he's got a crazy one. He's been through a lot that I didn't know and overcome some real adversity. But we also get into some very actionable advice in the back half of the episode, which is something that I really like. I love to tell the stories of these people that I'm inspired by, but I also love to give something back to a listener who's maybe trying to go down a similar path as whoever I'm talking to. So if anybody's listening that wants to be a booking agent or maybe you're an artist or you have a project where you're looking to start touring, I wanted to cover some some basics there and get some advice directly from him, and he does exactly that. He gave a lot of really good advice and gets into a lot of really cool questions and specific answers there, which is something that I really love getting into. So with all of that made for a really good episode, if you like it, you know what to do. I always ask the same thing because it is so impactful and it helps the podcast grow so much, and that is tell your friends about it, share it on social media, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform it is you're listening to. And if it's on Apple, leave your boy five stars and a cool review because that helps the podcast get discovered quite a lot. I haven't really done any real advertising. Word of mouth has been the best thing ever. So if you like the show, the biggest favor that you can do for me is spreading it and helping it grow. With that said, let's crack into a real good episode. Where are all my friends? sitting down with Jonathan Wilson. And I love doing this podcast. I love doing it with close friends and people that I just meet because I always learn something new. But it's cool because we've been friends for a while. And I feel like I'm I'm excited to get into your story. I'm sure there's going to be something new in this. And uh, I always like that. I always like when I have a, a rapport with yeah. whoever I...
0: I'm excited. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, dude. For real. So the way that I like to start it is, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, just a quick uh, explanation of who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah. My name is Jonathan Wilson. I'm a booking agent at a company called TKO. I book concerts and tours for a lot of hard rock bands, metal bands, whatever it may be.
1: Yep. And for the listener, we met years ago. Uh, I was managing a band in that genre called Limbs. And I don't even know. I think we met through a mutual friend, but we ended up working on the project together. And you were our booking agent, and we just got along really well. And yeah,
0: I don't. I don't remember how it came across. I just remember, I think the buddy Jason who showed me the band, and I was just like super into it, and yeah, connected us, and we just uh, met up at a pizza place, and yeah, his history.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was Jason Majo. Yeah, yep. Shouts to him. That's awesome. Well, yes. Yeah, so my favorite way, like the way I like to start this, is. Taking me back to where you kind of found your thing, and I would assume it's something in music, but I don't know. I could be wrong, but like kind of finding something that you're stoked on, like whatever that first kind of spark was as a kid and like tell me your story like that till kind of now.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up always in a a pretty supportive household when it came to music. My mom would always buy me like whatever CDs or whatever it was I was listening to, you know, dating back as far as I can really remember you know it'd be like a blink 182 record or like tupac or whatever it may be um but i think what really sparked me towards live music was uh in eighth grade i had a i had a buddy who just ran me one day he was like oh you like blink 182 and he's like i'm like yeah and uh he's like do you want to go see see him in concert and it was blink 182 and uh newfound glory and uh went to that show and i was just like Instantly from there, I was just like, I need to be part of live music in one way or another. Yeah. yeah. What year was that? So I was, uh, it was the summer between eighth and ninth grade. So it would be like 2000.
1: Damn. So th- just like the pinnacle of it
0: being yeah. like good. Yeah. It was like the take off your pants and jacket tour.
1: Oh, uh, Like the tour for the album? Yeah. yeah Dude. That was- that's like a huge, I mean, I don't, I couldn't say regret because it's not like I like, cognizantly chose, but I never saw Blink-182 in that era. Like I was a little too late for it. I was listening to the music, but I almost didn't understand that live shows were a thing or that like you could love a band and that they might be touring through your city. Like, I know that sounds so weird, but...
0: Yeah, that was like my first concert ever. And uh, just like the production they had and everything, it was just intoxicating. Um, I mean, obviously I was already a fan of it, but like I wasn't in any way exposed to like rock music on that spectrum. So... Um, I mean, before that, I was like super into like sports and kind of closed off from all that stuff. He's kind of listening to whatever was on the radio. And then uh, that friend just, you know, me and him just end up deep diving into like punk rock and all, all that stuff like afterwards going into high school that's so sick
1: what do you remember like just because i legitimately want to know about that show as a fan what do you remember about like blink's production or like what stood out to you the most
0: uh being being in eighth grade the thing that stood out the most because I, I went to the show with my my friend's parents because we were that young yeah yeah. You know, they had to stay yeah and uh they came on stage and they had a giant uh sign that was on fire and it just said fuck <laughs> so, so when that, when the, you know, when everything hit and the the, the music came in and that sign lit up, I remember his parents, uh, good Christian family, were kind of like, oh geez, what do we get ourselves into here?
1: And for you as kids, you're like, this is the coolest oh, thing.
0: It, it, it was so cool. I mean, I came home from that show and I was just like, mom, I want to play guitar. Mm-hmm. I want to wear dickies and Hurley shirts and yep. uh, skateboard. I can never skateboard, but. You know, she went out and uh, a couple months later, she bought me a guitar and I started playing music and started, you know, little punk rock bands with uh, my friends. I feel like
1: how many lives Blink-182 influenced by like just that era? It's so crazy to think about. But so you did play guitar.
0: I did play guitar, um, played in just, you know, little local bands uh, in high school, Um, moved around a lot, which, you know, kind of uh, got me into different genres of music. Um, you know, cause I grew up in a small town originally. So you kind of just listen to whatever, whatever was on the radio. And then when I moved down to Florida for a little bit got super involved with, uh, you know, uh, BMX scene and which it led into like the skateboarding scene and all that stuff. And, you know, they looked through my CD collection and they're like, Oh, you listen to like all mainstream bands when I thought like new Found glory was like an underground band or whatever. And they show me like other bands like MXPX, no FX and stuff like that. So it kind of started expanding my knowledge on, uh, on different music and, uh, and all that stuff. So, yeah, just started playing in bands. Um, played in uh you know metal and hardcore bands, getting out of high school and all that stuff, and uh was kind of like the business person behind all those bands. There's
1: always there's always the one business person in the band. Also, I'm thinking of this picture, and you were definitely the kid at the skate park that was cooler than me. Like
0: no, I definitely wasn't. I are was, you... I was like 315 pounds. Oh, I no couldn't way. do anything. I couldn't even stand on a skateboard.
1: No, but I'm saying you rode BMX? Oh, Poorly. Oh, poorly. Because, like, I, at least for me, I remember like going guys to the skate don't, park. Big guys don't get much air. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really have, dude, you're so in shape now. That blows my mind. I had no idea. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Like, there was that kid at the skate park that was like the BMX kids that listened to like heavier music than like you. You were always like, fuck,
0: they're <laughs> cool. Yeah. It was weird. Like, I didn't know there was, uh, like th- those two like clicks didn't get along until I went to the school and I was like hanging out with the BMX kids and like oh don't don't hang out with him he's a wood pusher
1: <laughs> wood pusher see okay so check me out <laughs> I always view I was skateboard kid I always viewed the BMX kids to be cooler but I didn't know that I was wood pusher I just knew that the <laughs> rollerblade kids were on the lowest oh yeah so yeah. if you rode a scooter rollerblades. That was, like, the general, like, oh, yeah, like, you're going to get made fun of. And I always thought BMX kids were cooler, but I didn't know that we were in that lower tier in BMX size. It was
0: just this constant feud. (laughs) It was. I think it went back and forth.
1: Well, also because uh, you would have BMX night at the skate park or whatever because, like, BMX bikes ride faster whatever. So if you got in the way of a BMXer, they hated you. Oh, yeah. And if BMXers were riding, you couldn't ride the course because they're ripping all over the place. <laughs> so there is that little, that's funny.
0: Skate park etiquette.
1: Yeah, for real. Okay. You said you moved around a lot. Uh, what age did you, you were growing up in Michigan, you said? Yep. And what age did you stay in Michigan till?
0: So, um, you know, a little backstory, you know, I, I was like big into sports and like I hung out with all the jog kids and all that stuff until going to that concert. And then got super into punk rock and all that stuff, came into high school looking completely different, listening to different music, definitely like started hanging out with different crowds of people. Uh, And then my parents split up, mom moved to Florida. Um, There was like custody stuff going back and forth. So moved to Florida, coming from this small school, going to this massive school, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, And then moved back to Michigan for a few years uh, and then ended up living with a, my grandparents just because, um, you know, just cause, uh, wasn't really a stable household for a little while.
1: Oh, so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And like, I, I can't front, like I understand it, but I definitely have empathy and, and, uh, I can see it from afar, you know, like that's gotta be tough to be that age and like not be able to control that balance of home. So I understand the moving, I get that.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was wild, but you know, it definitely like made me who I am today because, you know, from being 14 years old, like- you know, my parents had just split up, so we were, you know, living, you know, below paycheck to paycheck. My mom was working three jobs, and so it was up to me being the oldest sibling to, uh, you know, make sure all the homework got done and all that stuff, make dinners. So it was like growing up at a very young age.
1: Damn. Yeah. That's actually like, that. that's really interesting to hear because, yeah, you're getting into these other hobbies, whatever, but like, that's also a lot of life to be dealt at a young age where you do kind of have to step to the plate. So were you able to like get into your hobbies or were you having to just like play hold down the house for some of it too?
0: I mean, yes and no. I mean, it was definitely a hold down the house uh, a little bit down in Florida, but like I said, I went to a new school freshman year, like it was tough to make friends anyways, Mm -hmm. but moving back to, um, you know, Michigan, you know, sophomore, junior year, I kind of went more so just kind of started living my own life and being like, okay, this stuff's going on at home, but I'm going to go. To, to a local show or whatever and kind of find an escape.
1: So you're growing up, you had moved around, and really the common glue of it all was that you were playing guitar.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, playing music was definitely like a huge outlet and all that stuff. Um, you know, after high school, I started playing more serious bands, um, and I was like the person that would always book the shows, um, figuring out where we're going next, how much we're getting paid and all that stuff. Um, You know, and I got into a few that were serious enough where we would start playing out-of-state, start playing like Wiccan Warrior gigs, uh, a couple like slightly more extensive tours, nothing that like lasted more than a week, but I was pretty much the point person for booking that, finding the venues, doing that whole thing.
1: Yeah, that's interesting how that happens, right? Because you get into the hobby of it and then it's like, all right, well, I'm in. I'm. want. How do we do more? And then... You don't have a team yet because you're figuring it out on your own. So there kind of needs to be like the business person mm-hmm. of that. And it's so funny because so many of those business people of the bands have ended up now having careers in the industry. But it's also interesting to me that pretty quickly, it seems you were pretty in on music. Like if you were taking the time to become a weekend warrior band and figure all that out at, I mean, what age?
0: Uh, so I mean, this time I was like 18 or 19. So relatively yeah, really young. High school. So, so like. I
1: would have to assume then that you were all in on, like, I'm going to do the band thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I was fully in and playing, like, the live show. Like, it was, a great experience. I was never, like, a fantastic guitarist. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, um, thank God for the business side of things because I would never would have made it as a musician. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I was definitely all in. Like, I wasn't going to college, any of that stuff. Um, and just kind of wanted to see how far it would take me.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Okay, and then were you, so... What's the next part of that? So you become like, you're doing the business side of so, it. You're doing yeah. weekend I was, gigs. I was doing the band
0: for a little bit. Is the
1: band, like, is it getting more successful? No, band, or, okay. it, was,
0: it was a money pit.
1: It was just constantly <laughs> throwing away money. Like we, we would go,
0: we would go to like Evansville, Indiana and play in front of 10 people and make like 20 bucks or something like that and sleep in a van and whatever. Um, so eventually got to a point where, you know, I was living on my own, had very real bills, was working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet. And I was just like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I can't play in a band. So I, I I quit that band. Um and then about six months went by and I was just like, man, I miss I miss music. I miss being involved in it, miss like local shows, all that stuff. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll try putting on a show at a VFW hall or something like that. Okay. So I so I, I put on a show. It was really successful. Um and then
1: Oh, it was it, successful. Yeah, it was, it, oh, it was great. It was
0: great. And then uh um people come came to me and was like, Oh, can you book my band? in your area again and so i started i started becoming like a local promoter in the area and that led to a band come up to me one day being like oh can you uh can you book our band a tour and i was like well i've done it for my own band like sure i'll, I'll book your band a tour
1: yeah and so and I, how were you booking tours at that time
0: um myspace mostly dude dude uh myspace was like the best tool ever when it came to uh Trying to figure out a new place to play or whatever, or even releasing music for bands. Like, there's no platform that does it as well as MySpace. That was
1: a magical time when MySpace was ripping. So, you were using, so you were like messaging people. Yeah, I mean,
0: there was like a a shows tab on MySpace that you just put in whatever city you're looking to go in, and there's like a list of every show that's coming up for the next three months. And that's how I started building my database of venues and promoters because I would see where all the bands are playing and all that stuff. And um, so, yeah, that was like, the biggest tool into me learning how to book a tour. And I mean, honestly, anyone could do it back then. It was just taking a little extra time to yeah. just find the contacts and do it yourself.
1: Right. Okay. So continue. So the band hits you
0: up. Yeah. band hits me up. They're like, book us a tour. I was like, cool. I booked them a 10 day tour. We're about two weeks out from the tour happening. And they're like, Oh, could you tour manage us? I've never tour managed anyone before. And I, but I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll tour manage you and figure it out. And, uh, so, you know, it was kind of like a, a lot of that. I was just figuring things out as I had to go. Um, so I tour managed the band ended up going fine. And they're like, um, we just want to be our booking agent. And I was just like, at the time I didn't really know booking agents existed or what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll just, I'll book you all your shows. You know, there was really no strategy to the whole thing, but I was just like find them gigs and did that whole thing. So I, I, I booked for them for, I don't know, a, a couple of years and then, uh, um, and we not in a couple of years, but like pretty shortly. And then other local bands would be like, Hey, can you book us a tour? And, you know, so I started building a little bit of a roster of, uh, bands that were starting to do some stuff.
1: Damn. So it just really snowballed. Like,
0: yeah, so it snowballed pretty quick early on. Um, it was, you know, in that my space, like yeah. scene metal, uh, days. And I, I actually had some success with some early on, some bands I picked up early on, um, but unfortunately I didn't really know what I was doing and because I was having success, I thought I knew everything and I wasn't really willing to learn more yeah, or take advice from other people. Um, So my band that was actually exploding at the time, yeah. they really were, they were blowing up. Now that I look back at it, they had, uh, they got poached by another agent, like a real agent. Oh. And uh, so I was just like, why am I wasting my time doing this? Like, in my eyes I'd built that band up and all that stuff and you know they had, they had left me and whatever so I was kind of bummed out so I actually stopped uh I actually stopped uh being an agent for a little while oh and stopped well, like that really shook you, yeah I was, I was really bummed out I, I took it really hard um don't know why I took it so personally but I think even even nowadays like if a band leaves like i take it personally cuz i get really invested in, in in them not only as the as a band but like as people and all that stuff yeah so yeah so i stopped for a little bit until i got the edge again and um unfortunately like i had uh i had to start from scratch all over again so i started with a new company name and all that stuff and started building my roster back up
1: so when you were when in your first initial rip of success you had started like your own kind of company name and yeah can i know what it was called
0: uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty self-entitled, the JW agency.
1: <laughs> Yo, honestly, though, I have respect for that. And I feel like so many early stories of like successful people will, like, there's the that beginning, oh, right? Where you're like, I need a company. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it JW Marriott? Isn't that like a, yeah, yeah it could have just been See? an extension of that. Their exactly. live division.
0: It was a steakhouse. Yeah. JW steakhouse. Oh, let's was, go. They don't need do it. to
1: know.
0: Um, it rolls off the tongue.
1: So, okay, so you started that, you stopped then, and then didn't, you were telling me before the podcast that there was like a minute where like, like what were you doing in between that?
0: Uh, I was just working odd end jobs. I was, uh you know, it, it was from Michigan, so I was working like factories and stuff like that. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So um, you straight like got out of it for a minute. Yeah, yeah, I was done because I, I was just like, I mean, we joked about, you know, the, how how great it'd be just to go work at a Starbucks and dude you sometimes live right you so throw like, your I, phone I, I, into an yeah, ocean yeah, yeah, you don't worry yeah, yeah. about it you go work at Starbucks and, uh, do whatever I I I did it I worked uh nine to five but it wasn't really a nine to five it was more like a 6 a.m to 5 p.m because <laughs> that's how the jobs are in Detroit you know what I mean? Yeah um how old
1: were you at the time I
0: was probably like twenty-one,
1: twenty-two-ish. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um so yeah I did that whole thing and then realized okay, you know, I have a steady income and this job I can go home from and shut off from but it wasn't really fulfilling other things in my life that you know that urge for live music and all that stuff yeah um so I just started uh started the old company back up and yeah. then I was grinding away for for a couple of years um and then I was just like okay well um doing this for a little bit it's not really growing past a certain uh, uh, spot where I can make like a soul living off of it. I was still working other jobs and everything. Yeah. Um, so I started applying to, you know, be assistants elsewhere and I was like, I'm gonna move to LA, New York, wherever will will have me, wherever and find a job. Like I didn't have any ties at the time. So I'm like, I'm just gonna gonna move, um, you know, and then uh so like, as I'm looking, this is kinda like um so I, I was twenty five at the time. Yeah. Um and then just suddenly I got a call uh from my aunt that my dad passed away um so this was like was like a huge like you know obviously like big thing in my life where afterwards i start Ew. i start evaluating like everything I'm doing like am I wasting time with things what whatever so yeah um'm looking for any kind of sign any kind of sign that I'm on the right path, you know what I mean
1: dude that's yeah, that's so hard too because like i personally like i always thought that the teenage years would be the hardest and then you get to your mid twenties and like you kind of explained it like you don't really know like you you want to chase a career you're passionate about but the money's not always there and it's like hard work and you get screwed out of like growing it once and then you get cut out you try the other side of it so it's like I think that your mid twenties is a really hard time so then to lose your father at that time too like bro i i don't i can't even imagine
0: yeah so i mean it was definitely weird because like at that point I had abandoned going to college because I'm like, I'm doing this whole music thing like one way or another, like I'm going to succeed in music at the time I thought I was playing. And then like on the business side of things, I'm like, I'm going to find a way to do this. So like I had no fallback on like education. Um, I started evaluating things in life. Like I said, like just looking for any kind of sign that I'm on the right path. And then, uh, um, through like me sending my resume to like all these different companies or whatever, I got a call one day. Um, someone offered me a job working at a record label in Miami. Whoa. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, this this seems great. It was a a brand new label. They had like all this proof of funding and all that stuff. I signed a contract for a salary and all that stuff. And it, it, uh, um, you know, it looked like, okay, life's going to start improving. Yeah. And then, you know, it's one of those things like almost too good to be true. So was the salary like enough where you're like, yo, this is sick. Like, yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like unrealistic, but it was like, Okay, I'm gonna live a, a comfortable life. Like yeah. From from paycheck to paycheck to all sudden like okay, I'm gonna be able to save some bucks. Yeah. All that
1: stuff. And maybe like a feeling of like all right, like band didn't work, agent didn't work. Like maybe this is that. Yeah, spot. May, may, maybe like, the
0: record label things for me. Okay. Um. So they said they're gonna pay for all my moving expenses, all that stuff. So I moved on to Miami from Michigan. From Michigan. Yeah. Back to Florida.
1: Yeah. <laughs> back to Florida. <laughs> Hate Florida. I love it, but different different episode continue. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, move down move down there and then uh um I go, you know, I go check out the office building that I'm supposed to be working at and it's it's fucking abandoned. Dog what? Dude, abandon. Did they pay for your moving expenses? They were supposed to reimburse it. Oh fuck. Yeah. So I move into this apartment. What who what mind you what I, is that I, I, bit? I, I, what is the you, who's getting you, anything out of that? To you, be like, I, ha, ha, ha. I only have a few thousand dollars saved up. Yeah. Who wh- 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 what ploy is that? Who who gets enjoyment Look, out of it? Looking, looking back, I think their intentions were right. Mm-hmm. I think they got it over their heads. Oh. Um, so move down there. There's obviously no job. They're they're like, you know, I'm they're they're still in contact with me, being like, hey, we're Things are delayed a little bit. We're trying to get things right. going. So anyways, long story short, I moved to Miami, fall flat on my face. I have, I burned through all my savings, Yeah, maxed out all my credit cards. And we're not talking like a thousand dollar limit. We're talking like thousands of dollars yeah, in credit card dude. debt. Um, So, uh.
1: And you're down in Miami where I imagine you don't have much of any like and community. Like, yeah, No, nobody.
0: Yeah. Nobody. Um. So yeah, I got to a really dark, dark spot. You know, dad just passed. I have nothing. I'm down there. I didn't I didn't even have a bed to sleep on. Yeah. <laughs> I was sleeping on a tile floor, you know, all this stuff. And oh, uh,
1: like Yeah, I mean you you experienced a low. Like yeah, that's
0: there. I mean, there was one point um when I was there and uh I just remember I I, I had like I said, no money, credit cards were maxed out. I had one week where all I had to eat was a a bag of rice and a jar of peanut butter. That's all I had in my place. And, uh, I was just like, you know, at, at that moment I was 25 and I made a five year plan on what I wanted to accomplish by the time I was 30. Cause, and I promised myself, I'd never be that poor ever again. So, um, a week later, I called some friends I knew that were touring old bands. I used to book and all that stuff. Um, and I was like, all right, well, um, you know, I want to go back on the road. I'll do merch, tour, manage, whatever. So I, was, I went back on the road making like $15 a day per, per diem. That was basically it. But at least I could afford food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then just eventually started, you know, jumping from tour to tour. So I was on tour more than I was in Miami for this fucking apartment that I'm paying for that I can't afford and all that stuff. And uh, um, so just, just started working myself to the bone. And then uh, one day I got a call. uh from a friend of mine who was currently doing merch for All That Remains and uh, he said he was moving on from that position and at this time I built up a decent resume touring and he offered me to replace his gig. So I went from sleeping in in a, a van in Wisconsin in four degree weather to a week later touring on a bus with All That Remains and that was kind of like the whole pivot to me getting like my life on track and like moving forward with my career. So, uh, yeah, so I started touring with All Our Mains and then that led into uh, working with RX Bandits and all that stuff. So I stayed on the road for about three years, um, tour managing, doing merch, along with, you know, running my own agency on the side as well.
1: Oh, so you, you were, you were doing that again? Yeah. You brought that yeah, back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I know, so like, I truly, like you painted that picture well and I, I can feel it. Like I can feel just like that moment of like it legit doesn't get worse. Like you're in Miami and just nothing. And I love like, that's so crazy to hear that. I had no idea. And like, I see you now and you're so put together and it's so far from that. So it's so cool to like now talk about it. But in that moment, you say you made a five year plan, like how detailed, like how much did you know in that moment? Like how much did you put together and like how step by step was that?
0: Uh, I mean, not all the things I accomplished by the time I was 30, but most of them I accomplished by the time I was 31 or 32. So shortly after, I mean, there are detailed plans. One was I wanted to live in California. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be a a homeowner. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, be starting a family. Yeah. Or at least be on the path in one. Yeah. And then uh, a couple of them were just like travel oriented goals, which I I could have like, like going to Australia, which I could knock out tomorrow. I wanted to, but I chose having... I chose not to do it because
1: totally know, like responsible priorities your family, have changed in yeah. life. And but,
0: uh, yeah, so I mean,
1: as far as like the work, like did you did you kind of reverse engineer it and be like, yo, okay, I can get back to it if I start touring, if I start booking. Like, yeah, so, did you have an idea of that? Like,
0: yeah, so I mean, uh, I was definitely you know doing the agency thing, uh, and I used touring as another tool to start meeting all the promoters and stuff I was working with. So when I was touring, I would you know take as many meetings as possible whenever I was traveling. Whenever I'd go into New York or L.A., like I would just meet with managers and all that stuff and just uh, make the most of the opportunities I had.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. It's, I don't know, like hearing stuff like that, I just like, I'm obsessed with that, right? And I think that sometimes in those super dark moments, you you can get a motivation unlike any other. And like when you experience hello, it's like you won't go back to that and things like that. So I don't know, it's cool to hear that it all kind of came back and that you did come back to your original calling in music almost in a sense. I mean, I guess guitar was one. but Well, yeah,
0: I mean, like guitar's fun, great, whatever, but you can't really, I mean, very few can make a living off doing it. And uh I don't know, for whatever reason, I was just always programmed to be the one cutting deals and, uh, you know, being in charge of the whole, like, live show process
1: yeah like that was like a quick like an an early calling of yours that you
0: yeah i mean like i I had done like artist management and stuff as well but like i don't know it was just something about like the 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 deals that you deal with on a daily basis with being an agent just always drew me back to that
1: yeah that's awesome so okay so then you're out on the road for about three years Mm -hmm. and then what happens
0: um so i was working on a tour with uh um someone at TKO. And, uh-huh. uh, I guess they were happy with the job I was doing or whatever. And then, uh, so I'm just on t- tour one day and I got a call from, uh, the CEO of TKO and he was like, Hey, would you be interested in coming work for us? And I was just like, yeah, I mean, be able to go into an office every day and like make a living off what I'm most passionate about. Absolutely. So, um, when I was on tour with all our mans one day, we had a day off in, uh, Secaucus, New Jersey. And, um, I took the train into the city and met with them and they had offered me a job at TKO and that kind of led me to my next chapter where I came back to the boss and I was like, guys, I'm going to finish this tour and then moving to New York. So another move, yeah. And it
1: was New York because obviously we're in LA now, but it it was New York at the time?
0: Yeah, um, I went to New York for the first year and a half. I worked there. Um, They just wanted me to work closely with them and all that stuff. And then uh, eventually it was like, yeah, I'm over the cold. Mm. Going to California.
1: Mm. Oh, is there not a TKO office here? No, there is. Oh, there
0: is. Um, it closed down for a little bit uh, because they just didn't have enough agents to justify the office at the time.
1: Oh, but okay, so you wanted, they wanted to be closed. Like the core of the company and the OGs that hired you were in New
0: York. Yeah, so basically the TKO, um, the original owner is Dave Kirby, uh, who's no longer with us. But um, So they, him and Andrew Goodfriend and Mike Monarulo all started the agency group and they kind of opened the agency group office in L.A., and then eventually uh, left agency group and started TKO.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep.
0: Whoa. Yeah. So um, they were all over the agency group when they had bands like uh, uh, Slipknot, Mudvayne, um, Nickelback, things like that. Yeah. Yep.
1: Whoa, okay, so they held down that space mm-hmm. and then when they felt like they had enough leverage or whatever, they were just like, let's do something that we're deeply passionate about. They had more control over that. Yeah, I'm to not KO. sure the
0: exact reasons why they left, but I mean, it happens all the time in right. you know, the agency world.
1: Yeah, you see that. That's intre- I had no idea that it was like a, a evolution of owners or founders of another company. That's yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah, so I mean, Andrew had... After Dave passed, he moved, in, moved to New York, where he was originally from, and that's why they kind of shut down the, the LA office for a little bit until they had more agents out here.
1: Oh, that makes so much sense. That's crazy. Wow. I just learned something. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Um, okay. So then you come out at a year and a half in New York, then mm-hmm. you come out to LA.
0: Yep. So I've been out here for about
1: three and a half years now. Damn. I've been with TKO coming up on five years. Damn. Yeah. And now, I mean, we're about to get into another chapter. You bought a house in Nashville. Hey, moving again.
0: Yeah. I've lived everywhere, man. Dude,
1: you have legitimately lived everywhere.
0: Yeah, I lived in five different states. I've seen every nice. state except
1: for Alaska. Really? Yeah, that's the only one I haven't been to. You have me beat. I have, I think I have four left. I haven't done, we were talking about Hawaii. I need I to do there. Hawaii. I haven't done Alaska. And then I'm missing, I think I'm missing South Dakota and Vermont, or uh, the furthest. Yeah, I think Vermont whatever. Um, Okay. So another thing that I want to get into as far as the podcast, like you're, you're the first booking agent that I've had. And I, I really wanted to cover so many different aspects of the industry and even outside of the music industry, but just people who are professional and good at what they do and giving advice to people that are chasing that or people that could learn from them. So I'm really honored to have you as a friend and an agent on to help with that. It's a lot of um, pressure
0: being the first one.
1: Yeah. Please don't mess up. Yeah, People listen, they're like, You ruined my career, I Jonathan we Wilson. Do a lot of bad advice. How dare you give me bad podcast <laughs> advice that I base my entire life off of? That's my uh, angry listener. That's I like it. <laughs> um, before I get too deep into that, did we I think that pretty much tells your story is the evolution of an agent,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, pr- pretty much. I mean, most of the the daily stuff is pretty mundane, so I think <laughs> it covers all the the big stuff.
1: <laughs> we'll probably get into that as we talk more specifically. <laughs> yeah. I get wait one last question yeah. in it though. What if if any is there a moment that stands out as like a really cool, like a holy shit moment? Like maybe you booked a crazy venue or like a something, or have you had any like moments like that, like where you're in it and you're like, this is fucking cool?
0: I think the 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 biggest one I had is obviously a full circle moment. Yeah. Was when I legitimately, um, a good friend of mine is uh, an agent agent for uh, Angels and Airwaves. Oh, cool. And I went to the show with him. He knew I was a big Angels and Airwaves fan. And uh, he's like, oh, we're going to go say hi to to Tom real quick. And I was like, I thought it was going to be a quick thing. Like, oh, holy shit, I'm going to get to meet my idol. Like, yeah. legitimately, when I was in high school, I wanted to be fucking Tom DeLonge. Like, Dude, legit, I get it. Yeah. Like, my guitar looked like the his fender model at the time. It wasn't his, but it was it looked similar enough where I was like this is cool. Yeah. Um so I thought we were going to say a quick, you know, hello or whatever and then uh I think the, the biggest moment was we spent about 3 hours in his dressing room talking about everything from um freemasonry to uh yeah. aliens to yeah. fucking deep diving into blink 182 and all that stuff like so it like was a just, real connection. It was it was crazy, very surreal and I I hope I didn't embarrass myself too much (laughs) while I was there.
1: Well, you know, it's also like, as you're saying that to me, I think that's really cool that so many professionals in music come from being fans and loving it. So it's cool to even hear, you know, it's like, I know that you've booked such big things and like, as far as like money, like you've definitely brought yourself back from rice and peanut butter so for you to answer that, as far as just like being able to meet an idol, like it's cool that you're in it for the reason of just like loving music, you know, I yeah. love that. That's a great answer. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to
0: have that, to keep working in music fresh, because if if you lose touch of everyone you idolize and it all becomes normal, like then that's just another job and you're not enjoying what you're doing. So yeah. I think if you're in music and you're working, you know, like obviously you take the most of like every opportunity. If someone's like, oh, you want to book Blink-Way Tour or Angels and Airwaves, like yeah, I'm definitely going to consider doing that. But like, I think it's also important to be a genuine fan of certain artists and not be too close to them.
1: Yeah, no, I really like that, and it's it's just it's cool to hear that. So nice, nice. That's sick that that happened. All right, so getting into some advice, I really like to get into reverse engineering scenarios and like as an artist or maybe giving advice to somebody who's not at where you're at or they're trying to either follow a path to become an agent. Or maybe you're an artist that's looking to get an agent or you want to start playing shows, things like that. Like I find that really interesting. And I wanna, I wanna help anybody listening Mm -hmm. if that is what they're going for. So to me, the first question, like from the artist side, you're an artist and you're looking for an agent. If you believe you have a good product and you're grinding it out and you wanna start touring, but you don't necessarily know how, what is that first step?
0: To start touring or finding the agent
1: could be both actually let's say first let's let's say first start touring
0: yeah i mean i, I think that's the most important way to, to start it is you know obviously you have to start with a story in your hometown mm-hmm. you know you need something that's gonna set yourself apart you know whether it's just your music or your live show or whatever um and you know start in your hometown and really conquer that and then slowly start branching out i think a lot of artists these days because how easily accessible it is to you know release music and you know go on a tour and all that stuff like you know they kind of Uh, run before they can walk and they start doing these elaborate like 30 day tours before they've even been able to sell 20 tickets in their hometown yeah um i think it's a lot more attractive for agents uh finding artists more organically they get a little more passionate about it you know and it's easier to to find them when uh when that story's already been built a little bit
1: i like that and then as far as like playing shows in your hometown you, you I would assume you just go. Well, I don't have to assume. I understand how to do it, but sounds (laughs) so you Oh, I know how to do it. (laughs) Um, No, but like you, you just go to your venues that you like to go to shows to yourself, right? Talk to the venue owners, talk to promoters in your area. Yeah, start to put it out there. Network your
0: your hometown. Figure out where your favorite bands are playing. You know, a a lot of uh, tours these days have local openers. Like that was a big thing when I was playing music. That was that was unheard of. Um, so you can start like opening for acts and start, you know, kind of, you know, piggybacking off their fan base a little bit, to gain your own fans. Yeah. Be willing to Um, sell
1: tickets at whatever venue, whatever artist is playing that you want to
0: open. Start selling tickets in your hometown. And once you can do that, you know, branch out two, three hours, start building little weekend runs. And then, you know, the story starts to grow.
1: Yeah. What do you think of, uh, maybe I'm fast forwarding, but like, what do you think now? Because certain artists are able to build such a crazy big social media following and like so many, you know, like YouTube views, Spotify plays, social media. What do you think of those artists that blow up, in a sense, online before they really start touring? Like, do you think the same thing still applies or do you think that steps are skipped?
0: Uh, I mean... If you really blow up, like say you have a, a single that just starts smashing, yeah, sure, you can go out and tour earlier and, you know, have headline success or whatever. Um, but it's it's crazy because a lot of times some of those streams don't really translate to actual ticket sales. And they might seem great, but um, a lot of times people that are just listening to music on the Internet don't actually go out to, to live shows. So there's something to be said for actually going out and grinding and building that fan base organically and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I find that interesting. I think about that a lot because nowadays like music discovery is so easy, but you're right. Like not everybody that casually streams online is going to come and show up. So I always kind of try to find that balance, right? Um,
0: I mean, it's obviously different from artist to artist. Yeah. So you kind of just got to live in the now and figure out what's working.
1: Yeah. And I guess too, like even if you are an artist and you start to feel like you're blowing up go to your local promoter if you don't have an agent and be like, yo, I feel like something's happening here. Can we do a headline show? Can we see what, how many people show up?
0: And it's the safest way to do it. Gauge it. Like I said, in your hometown first, when you're not spending thousands of dollars traveling around the country.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. And then what about from the side of like, so you are a bit established, you feel like you do have a good product. Maybe you have done your weekend runs, feels like it's clicking, but it hasn't clicked yet. How do you get on the radar as an artist uh, for certain agents? Like,
0: I think, uh, I mean, it's tough because if you just like send like an unsolicited email to, uh, to an agent, like we get hundreds if not thousands emails a, a day. So it's like a lot of those go unread and unlistened to. Like I hate saying that, but like I'm very guilty of it as well. Like if, yeah. if something's like, if I get an email that's five paragraph par- five paragraphs long, I'm probably not going to read through the whole thing or listen to the band afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you know, send like a, a link and all that stuff, but, you know, you can't get your feelings hurt when uh, it doesn't get seen or responded to. I think the best thing is like, you know, once you are selling tickets in your home market, promoters talk to agents and a promoter is going to go, hey, you should check out this band or, you know, they'll talk to a manager and, you know, the manager will, will call an agent who've already like might work on a bunch of bands together. Like if you call me and be like, Hey, you should check out this band. I'm going to check it out. You know what I mean? So I think the first step is kind of finding, uh, you know, creating that hometown story and then finding a manager and your manager will help build that team around you. Cause I mean, an agent's just one part of the the whole team behind the band, like manager kind of, you know, steers the whole ship and they'll bring in a label to help release the music and the agent to help you know get all the dates and all that stuff but I think the manager is the more important starting point
1: yeah that's interesting and for you would you it's funny because I've been on the management side of it right so I don't know but like as an agent um, say there is an artist without a team around them but you just have a feeling like are you down to take on artists that don't have the rest of the team
0: 100% yeah um, I mean, a big tool that I use is every Monday I listen to that Discover Weekly on Spotify or Oh yeah, Reduce Radar. Like all the times I'll I'll uh, just organically find a, an artist on there, and then I'll deep dive and I'll be like, Oh, do they have a team yet? Do they yeah. have anything? Like you know, then I'll really sit on it, and you know, if it's st- if I'm still going back, and listen to it after a month. Like heck yeah, I'll jump on something early.
1: And another cool thing to add to that, hearing that part from you. Because like Ben Farber was on the podcast and he's like a wizard with streaming and all of that. And I was asking him and he's huge on like Discover Weekly and Release Radar. And the way that you get on those is getting your fans to follow you on Spotify and on those platforms. So as an artist, you could also like if we're reverse engineering it, release music, make sure that your fans and followers save it and follow you on that platform because then if those listeners are similar to the Jonathan Wilsons, then it will get served to you, somebody Mm. who doesn't follow them and then that keeps going
0: Exactly. so that's cool
1: Um, and then as far as so okay, so you build a good local following, you're kind of getting on the radar I liked what you said a lot about agents talking to promoters because I think that there is something about like the product speaks for itself right? Like, if you're starting to draw tickets and you're starting to make a wave, it's almost hard not to get somebody talking about you.
0: 100%.
1: So it's cool to hear you reaffirm that of, like, once the product is dialed in and actually getting attention naturally, the agents in the industry side kind of will take notice just naturally.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're working on so many tours every single day. Like, we're talking to you know, different promoters, you know, from Tennessee to New York, whatever, pretty much in almost every state. So if something's like buzzing, like it's going to get, you know, talked about and we're going to hear about it. Um, You know, sometimes some hear about it sooner than others or some might jump on earlier, but I think that's, I think it always just boils back down to your home base.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Another thing you were talking about is like sending the blind email Where sometimes like I actually really respect that. And I think that if you put out I mean, you, you were saying like you sent out a billion resumes. And oh, you you have to? You have you, to try. You
0: have to shoot your shot. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. But you said something that I think is very important.
0: Yeah, you can't make it a novel.
1: Don't make it a novel, no. right,
0: dude? All all, all a booking agent wants to see is a link to your website, your Facebook, and your music video. That's it,
1: dude. That we can, we
0: can find the rest from there,
1: dude. I think that like just that message, like I think that all of us in this day and age send and receive too many emails in a day. I think at any job that you have, if you have anything to do with a computer, you're getting too many emails. And if I can make the slightest impact in the world to get emails to be shorter and more to the point, I have done something good with my life.
0: Legitimately, I would respect it so much if a band would send me an email with their name and <laughs> the subject and just go, I think we're fucking sick, listen to us. And then the link. I'd probably listen to it then.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like,
0: Just tell me you think you're sick in one sentence. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, this is our band. We love it. Here's the links.
0: I mean, as a booking agent, like that's basically all we have time for. Yeah. Anyways, you've received emails from booking agents. Oh, totally. How how long are they?
1: It's one word. You're lucky to get a (laughs) sentence. Yes, No.
0: A hold. Yep. What got are it. The,
1: yeah, got it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Whatever that automated like little Gmail thing yeah, is. Yeah. How much
1: do you love that new Gmail extension?
0: <laughs> I actually uh I, I don't use Gmail, but I was just using Gmail for the home buying process mm-hmm. and going back and forth to my realtor. Like those kept popping up and I was just like, click. Yep. That was it. <laughs> it was awesome. Booking agents
1: dream that email extension. Another thing I wanted to talk about is as an agent, I mean what your roster is probably. 20-ish artists?
0: It's, it's it's over 30 at this point. Over 30, point. Yeah. okay. um, Likely will be, um, you know, approaching 40 here soon. That's
1: crazy to me. Yeah. Because again, being on the artist management side, comfortably can do one, can do two. And as soon as I get to like three, and I'm sure there's, I mean, I know there's managers out there that juggle more than that, but at least personally, like I get to about that and I'm stressing. And I think that it's a slightly different thing for an agent, but just talking about like um, prioritization and like delegating time management, things like that. Like, I think that that's a skill that you have to get really good at when it comes to that many moving pieces. Um, Do
0: you have anything to speak on that as far as like how you organize those things or? Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely like stuff that's learned over time. Yeah. I'm not saying like Jonathan Wilson 10 years ago could book 40 bands and, you know, survive life. yeah. Uh, But, you know, as you get further in your career and you start working with a lot of the same promoters and you start knowing more people on a first name basis and you have the the contacts like already imprinted in your brain, you can start working faster and smarter. You know, um, like say I'm calling promoter Bill in Missouri or whatever, like, you know, there could be four different tours we're working on together. So while I'm on the phone with them, about band A, I can discuss bands B, C, and D all at the same time. So it's like, it's all, it's like working smarter and, you know, just making the most of the time you're there.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Another thing you said to me before when we were just BSing that I really liked was like, kind of, there's not really formal training to this, right? Like you started off playing guitar, you happened to be business guy, you happened to pick these things up, but you were saying something to me about like, As you didn't really have formal training in the beginning, when you would see somebody doing something right, you were just like, ooh, I like that. I'll do that. And, like, how you, like, kind of pick up some of the details. And you are saying, like, recently you've been taking a lot more pride in, like, every detail in your show contract, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So, like, I mean, with my story, I wasn't trained in any certain way. Like, it was all learned by doing, like you know, just figure it out on the fly. I mean, there's definitely like ways to go about being an agent where you do get a little more formal training. Like you can go to college, you can come out, start in the mail room at William Morris, a CAA, and you'll probably get, you know, you'll probably be successful in your career faster than I was mm-hmm. working from the mail room up to being an assistant, up to being an agent. And you'll and you'll get trained how to do things properly. Like that's definitely a way to do it and a way I'd much more highly recommend than how I did things. Yeah. But, you know, for me, it was all DIY, learning as I go. So when I started at TKO and I started working on bands that were making real money, like I was still just doing deals like as I would with like a a band making a hundred bucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I just started like observing what, you know, other agents, managers, you know, publicists, even like that I respected would do as far as when they're cutting a deal or, you know, confirming a show or whatever. And I just started adding those little things from each person Whenever they did something I liked, I just add it to my own little my my little groove. Yeah. So not like when I'm confirming shows, it's very much detail oriented. So that way whenever, you know, a band calls me from the road, I, I already know exactly what's going on, you know, if there's an issue or something like that and yeah. work through it. Yeah, that's cool. And it, it kind of, you know, it helps, you know, when you are booking such a high volume, when you take those little that extra time to put in the little extra work those details, when a problem does arise, it's much easier to to handle and you don't get overwhelmed by the amount of artists you're working with.
1: Yeah. I wonder too, right? Like you said it earlier when you first started booking, like you had built that band and then they got poached and it kind of like really rocked you. I wonder if by having an early failure or what you consider to be something like that, a loss, I wonder if that like makes you more apt to learn later down and to be a little more humble and to like, you I think, know, I think it
0: definitely does because like I said, it stung me bad. Yeah. Um, and I've been very fortunate, like knock on wood in my career, like, um, is knocked on the couch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably some wood. <laughs> there's probably some wood somewhere in there. Yeah. I feel the but, bad part. Uh,
1: that seems. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's, there's definitely some agents that are out there that get fired from bands on a regular basis and they have a very high turnover. Um. I can probably count the amount of bands that have fired me on one hand in a, a ten-year career. Damn. So yeah, when I when I do get let like, go on one, it stings and it sticks with me. But I just take how much that hurts, you know, and just make sure it doesn't happen again. And I fix all those mistakes I made previously and make sure I'm, I, I sharpen them going forward.
1: Yeah, no, I like that a lot, right? Because I think that it's easy, especially working in an alternative career path. When you start to have success it's easy to be like holy fuck like i i broke this i did it i'm living yeah. the dream and it kind of will sneak up on you like getting cocky about that and then something can check you on it and i think there's always more to be learned so in a weird way like i don't know i think about that often i don't want anyone to ever fail i want people to have their first thing and just rip but sometimes those failures are really interesting to me because you learn so much and you become so much better Moving forward, you know, like I remember my first like touring and tour managing. The first artist I ever worked with had quite a lot of success out the gate, so I didn't really understand that you couldn't have success. I was like, "Oh, this is just sick!" Yeah. And then I start managing some artists, and I'm like, "Oh, wait, this is grindy." That that, that, that
0: artist that got pushed for me, like, still to this day, like I've I've, I work with some very successful bands now and bands that make lots of money, but that is the only band that. I had from the ground up that started exploding yeah. and, th- and they didn't even reach their pinnacle of success with me. Yeah. Like they went on to be much higher and they're, they're still a band today, but it's like, you know, that's how rare that is. So, I mean, I obviously just wanted to learn from that. So when, it, when I get that opportunity again, you know, I don't screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: that's I think about that sometimes, right? Cause like, yeah. obviously you don't want to screw up. But I just think that there is definitely the silver linings in learning these things early and becoming like now you have
0: like this foundation,
1: mm-hmm. which is awesome,
0: I mean, and, and also, like a big part of it is like I'm still very early on in my career. Mm-hmm. The artists I'm working with, I want to work with them for their entire career, the longevity longevity of it because like you build deep relationships when you're working with a band, like every day, and you' you're responsible for their livelihood and all that stuff. You get to know their families and everything like, To me, like, if it's just a revolving door, like, it's kind of pointless what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, No, I I love that. And another thing, like, I think that it can, depending on, it's probably like this in every industry, but I've seen it firsthand with certain bits of music where it can feel a little bit clicky and, like, you know, like, depending on, like, if you book the cool bands or, like, the whatever bands, like, you can kind of end up in these high school clicks what it feels like. And something that I kind of admired about you out the gate was you were never really above that or you were never really that. Like it was always kind of just like music that you liked or people that you believed in. And I really admire that. And I think like you said something else to me and by no means am I trying to like make any band cooler or less cool, but your willingness to take on artists, like you have a roster that's growing now so much. And in that, like I kind of love your view of like, yeah, cool. Like take it on. Like not every band is going to be the super cool cred band, but when you have like the bands that you're not too cool for, like they still pay the bills and they're still good people. But I like that you've had that view. Like I see it in other sides of music where it's easy to get clicky. And I like that example that you said of like, don't be too cool for things. Like see where it goes kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to take a chance on things and like you know, listen, like, you know, I'm definitely like, I, I came up in hardcore and like punk rock and like metal and all that stuff. So I, I definitely always have a huge passion for those, uh, those artists. Um, but those aren't always the artists that pay the bills. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to keep that breath of fresh air in uh, in your, in your life that keeps this job enjoyable, you know, yeah, sometimes you gotta book some stuff just, uh, to, to, to pay the bills. And I'm not saying those artists aren't talented at what they do, but there's like a, there's a space for every music that's out there, whether it's goth, whether it's industrial, whether it's, mainstream rock country whatever like there's a fan base for whatever's out there and you know i think we're also just providing that to those people that are out that are going to the shows and you also got to think about you know beyond the service we're doing for the artists we're also providing the service to the show goer you know giving them an outlet and all that stuff yeah no i
1: mean that's true it's super true and like you know again like you look at your life and i think that you've set a good example of balancing that like i mean you as an agent like you bought a house and you have a family and like you know that's that's not an easy accomplishment in music so to see that you still have the spark and the care for the artists that you work with and you've been able to balance that at that level i I really admire that i think that that's a cool example to set
0: Thanks, i appreciate it It, it took many years to actually learn that because like you know when i first started at tko like obviously it was the first time i had uh, an agency job where you have a salary and, you know, you have like bonuses and all that stuff. And, um, that comes with like added pressure and they didn't, you know, necessarily understand why I'd be wasting, you know, time with like a smaller act and not picking up things that just pay the bills and all that stuff. And so I think it's, it's definitely a learning curve that, you know, you have to have both to be able to succeed in music. I mean, not saying you can't succeed just booking hardcore and metal because a lot of people do it, but, um, just for where I am in my life right now.
1: Yeah, no, that's cool. And like on that same level, if anybody's listening and they're interested in like the path of an agent, what, like, where, where would you tell somebody to start? Like, what, what is that move? Or, you know, maybe, maybe you're just the business person as an artist. Maybe you're a solo artist. Maybe you're in a band, but like you're the one that relates to business. Like, if you've had that thought of like industry side, what is your
0: advice to somebody there? I mean, just dive in. Don't be afraid to like fail at it, really, because you're going to, you know, learn more from the mistakes that you make than, you know, not taking the risk or taking a chance at all. I mean, you can really just start a lot like by, you know, uh, booking your booking local shows in your hometown. Like, I think that's where you learn the most about, you know, cutting deals and the business factory because you learn about all the expenses that go into a show. You learn about, you know, how to promote it and all that stuff. So I think I think the most important uh, part to start for anyone is really just being a promoter.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. I like that. So then, yeah, I mean, I, you said it well. I don't need to say it again. Like, I like that advice, and I think that it's it holds up very well. Um, I feel like you've done a very good job telling that side of it and your story, but I hope that I didn't, like, skate over anything. Is there any piece of the story that I missed, or is there anything?
0: Uh, I think the the main thing is, like, if you know, like, you're destined to do something in life, like... Or whatever it is, like not everyone's programmed to be a booking agent. I knew I was getting, supposed to be a booking agent. I still know that like that's where my career is taking me, like to, to be a booking agent every day. Like along the way, people are going to present different things in your life that are going to seem fantastic. Kind of like, you know, when I thought moving to Miami for that job was going to change my life and make it all better. So I, you know, derailed my life from the path I was currently on. Like if you know you're meant to do something, whether it's playing music, being a manager, starting your own label, whatever it is, see that through, because whatever that is inside you telling you to do that, it's telling you that for a reason. And I think it's really important not to be distracted by the pretty picture people paint for you.
1: I think that's huge. And I think like now more than ever with social media and like with seeing access to literally every career and the highlight
0: reel of that career, it's very easy easy to question what you're doing. Yeah, people only put the good stuff out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Even
0: when I was living in Miami, like I was only posting pictures of me at the beach. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, here's my rice and peanut butter. Yeah. No, well, like, I was posting the pictures beach.
0: of me sitting on my floor with my TV on the floor. You know what I mean? Like it's so it's like, um, try not to get distracted by all that stuff out there because no one wants to put when they're having a bad day on the internet.
1: Yeah. No, I like that a lot. And I, I, even to this day, like staying in a lane, I have to remind myself, like stay in my lane because I see so much and I get so excited about so much. So I think that that advice is universally applicable to anyone at any point. And it's cool to hear that because now you have stayed the course and you have really planted yourself as a booking agent and it's paid off. Yeah. Sick. Sick. Damn, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Like I honestly I'm stoked that you were able to come on. I'm stoked that we had this time before you move. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss but, you so much. Uh, I'm going to I'll come to
0: Nashville. I like Nashville. I'm, I'm going to be out here a lot. Good. A lot.
1: You're going to be out here a lot. Eventually, I will buy a house in Nashville. But and we got to do this now.
0: Eventually we'll find something else to work on. Yeah, the podcast. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> well, fuck yeah. Thank you for doing this. Thank
0: you.